Hey, Phil. Hey, Laurie. Right, 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 right. Let's pull back right now. Phil, I feel like we've been disjointed and out of sync for a month and a half. Oh, really? Do you not feel that way? No, I have felt it massively. <laughs> but I was out of sync with how you were feeling. Well, it's just how funny it is. I think something about the holiday and what is it? It's the winter blues and we've had Blue Monday. Well, that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, the saddest day of the year. I was really sad that day. Oh, gosh. And then we recorded the podcast like the next day. I was still quite sad. <laughs> so listen, thank you very much if you did tune into our uh, The Last Jedi email special last week i'm sorry it took so long to come out i'm sorry that we couldn't record an extra film review show with it i'm sorry that the john spirit interview came out so late i'm about to burst into tears <laughs> i'm not really. it together i know i know but, but basically listeners we're excited because we are going to pull it back together with a movie mammoth special today and some news about changing formats and things phil what the films uh, so it just so happens with the Oscars coming out, we've ended up covering quite a lot of the big contenders. So uh, I've seen lots of films for once. Yeah, you You've have. seen loads of films. Yeah, I have. And so this week we're going to cover Darkest Hour, Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. We're going to cover three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri. Outside which is... Ebbing, Missouri. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I've been practicing saying that, <laughs> trying to get it right. Uh, Francis McDormand, uh, directed and written by the guy who did In Bruges Martin and Seven Side. Yep. yep. And uh, then there's The Post. There's Coco, the new Pixar film. The Commuter, lest we forget. <laughs> Don't forget The Commuter. <laughs> Liam Neeson. And A Woman's Life as well, Phil. Come yeah, on. Yeah, there's up. absolutely loads of films. And uh, I've seen Darkest Hour, uh, Three Billboards, The Post and Coco. Brilliant stuff. So we're going to try and get through all of those if we possibly can for you listeners. And some of them are going to be shorter reviews than others, depending on how interesting we think the film is and how Ooh. interesting we are doing it. Uh, but, and we'll have a couple of your emails at the end. But basically, there's not really going to be much from for anything else. But it is going to be great. Rip-roaring fun, right? Yes. Okay. And in terms of that other news I mentioned at the beginning of the Star Wars episode and just now again as well, Phil and I were thinking about changing up the show because for various different reasons, uh, it's been tricky to get this done every single week for a while, especially because Phil and I are now seeing the films totally out of sync from each other. Mm. Uh, So we're thinking, well, we like to involve you guys in our plans for this kind of thing. So we're wondering whether to make this kind of Super Betty Rose show a fortnightly thing so that it's easier for us to record it and edit it and catch up with the films as well. But to stop it being like just a fortnightly business because we know unbelievably phil people do like to tune in every week every week Um, yeah what we thought we might do um is i could do a little review roundup that gets released on friday and that's for the films being released that day because i'm getting to see them you know might as well make the most of that eh? Mm. Uh, and i might get judith in to chat with me about some of that that'll be a you're replacing me (laughs) what i want no never uh uh, but that would be like a little short thing that's slightly different and then basically we can get phil to come in and say what he thought about all those films what you're talking about larry exactly rubbish that's what people love people love it when we just a bit of banter yeah a lot of the time (laughs) and so this is i'd love to know what you think about that and i would do that every week and therefore whether i should do that as the Super Betty Bros podcast and so it gets published on this podcast or whether I should do like another one that gets released every week and then the Super Betty Bros podcast just becomes fortnightly. I'll tell you an extra reason for making it a separate podcast despite the fact that I have to do all the work to flip and build it again uh, is that we get another shot at the iTunes charts wouldn't we? Yeah that'd be fun. You have that golden period at the beginning where if you subscribe to it then you shoot up and you know we'd be cross-referencing Super Betty Bros wow it'd be like this media network. And just yeah, crazy, yeah, crazy, yeah, crazy, yeah. crazy 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 So listeners tell us what you think about that it's all new we're trying to figure it out um, but the main reason we're doing it is we want you guys to keep having a great podcast to listen to every week and to stay right on top of the filmy bits i don't think i need to say any more do i 
let's say if you want to get in touch, superbaileybros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at superbaileybros. And thank you very much to the Patreon supporters. Yes, well, and here's some more news, Phil. I was going to tease you with this. You haven't uh, told me anything about no, this. No, I haven't. I came across ko-fi.com or coffee.com. And that's K-O-F-I.com. And helpfully, I'm on the right uh, website page, Phil, because it says, what is Ko-Fi? Well, Ko-Fi lets creators receive small donations from fans for their content. Anyone can create Ko-Fi profiles and share their personal Ko-Fi link or embed a Ko-Fi, blah, 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 blah. Each donation is roughly equal to the price of a coffee which is so what we, we say every say, single week yeah chuck us a coffee and they say we chose coffee as a friendly metaphor for showing support there you go for that's endorsement of our own friendly mm. metaphor <laughs> but the money goes directly to the creator uh it's all free to use we don't take any cut or get in the middle of the transaction but paypal will charge a fee so in other words the only downside to patreon is that it levies fees on top right mm. uh, which makes it more than a cup of coffee whereas this might be the cup of coffee so i'm contemplating moving to ko-fi.com what do you think ko-fi.com let's do it Go, let, let your money speak listeners if you'd like to support the show and thank you very much well and tell me if you like that idea because i'm not going to just suddenly do it <laughs> out of nowhere because we lose all those patron sponsors <laughs> anyway look, look look this is too much info isn't it yeah let's get on with the show it's oscar time oscar movies uh email us superbellybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbellybros to get in touch well during the show after the show whenever the show right listeners because we've got so many films i think what we're going to do is do it a bit like how we do what we've been watching where we'll just kind of keep it flowing keep the 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 routine going and we'll just say the name of the film and the trailer uh i'm not sure exactly what film to start with i think probably three billboards in outside ebbing missouri the thing is you've kind of you've made it difficult now because we can't go straight into the trailer all snappy like because you said i think we should so were you waiting for me to say yes or what uh, well, no, so because I'm going to chat and then, yeah, oh. just let it play out, Laurie, let it play out. Because, listeners, it's done so well at the SAG Awards, it's been hotly tipped for Oscar stuff, and it's an interesting, quite controversial film for different sort of reasons. So, three billboards in Ebbing, outside Ebbing, Missouri. Do you want to try it one more time for the snappy <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. What's along what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say f*** that, right? I think I'll be all right then. I guess you're Angela Hayes' mother. That's right. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on a good time. I'd do anything to catch your daughter's killer. I don't think those billboards is very fair. The time it took you to get out here with some other poor girls probably out there being butchered right now. We've had two official complaints about those billboards. From who? It's a lady with a funny eye and a fat dentist. It's a lot of good friends of Willoughby in this town, Miss Hayes. Ow! Ah! You didn't happen to drill a little hole in the dentist today, did you? Of course not. Huh? I said, of course not. I'm sorry about Angela, but the town is dead set against these billboards. You know who threw that can? What can? How about you, sweetheart? Uh, no, I, I didn't really... Go, girl. The more you keep a case in the public eye, the better your chances are getting it solved. And when I see the sign... You know, if you hadn't stopped coming to church, you'd have a little bit more understanding of people's feelings. All this anger, man. It just begets greater anger. 
Listeners, it seems to be uh, one of those sort of films which either you love or you hate. And I think Laurie, well, I know Laurie, is probably in the latter half. You know it. And I'm in the former half. Yeah, I think it's not that... It's interesting you characterise it as controversial, because as far as I can tell, everyone loves this film. I I think it's one of those films which you're very vocal about if you love it and you say how brilliant it is because it's crass and rude and um, it sort of spits in the face of PC-ness and politeness. And it has a sassy lead in Francis McDonald, uh, doesn't McDormand, it? McDormand, yeah. McDormand, who From was Fargo. the... Yeah, exactly. And everyone likes her. It's got um, Woody Harrelson as well. He's a popular guy. Sam Rockwell again. It's from an interesting director who's writing as well as uh, directing. And so I think it's kind of one which is easy, very easy to champion. And those who don't like it, probably they keep quite quiet because they don't want to look like a... Sort of a grumpy old man on saying, well, "What are you bit... trying to characterise me as here?" <laughs> no, really... I've not been silent on it at all. Listen, I don't get this. I cannot. I don't understand what the Academy's plural see in this film. Really, I do understand what some audience members see in it. I had a really nice chat with a guy after the screening, and we chatted about it. And he was quite compelling. He thought it was, you know, really interesting. And there were really, you know, bizarre characters who weren't shallow, but were kind of conflicted. And he liked the fact there was redemption in the film. And he found it really funny as well and subversive. And so I like. I really want to say that I get that. And if that's how you feel about it, then that's how you feel about it. I didn't think any of those things. Uh, I'm trying to think how to moderate all this. Uh, you know, so as you heard in the trailer there, listeners, Frances McDormand is a grieving mother who's trying to get the local police to take an old case, what seems to now be regarded as an old case about her daughter's awful uh, death. More seriously, she wants to understand why they haven't found the killer. They want her to, She wants them to try harder to find the killer. She puts up these three billboards that accuse the Chief Willoughby of... Uh, you know being lazy or whatever and the town hates it because he's a bit of a local legend and they rise up against her they hate her now and the police department don't like her either and that leads sam rockwell to cause all kinds of problems and he's a sort of like idiot layabout childish cop isn't he yeah who apparently is casually racist and incredibly violent to everybody and then it all sort of escalates in a chaotic and funny way where crazy things happen that you don't see coming, including here's some great things in this film, Phil. Laughing at midgets because they're midgets. Uh, using racist slurs and racism as a joke because we can, because we're not racist. So we can we can make as much fun of these people as we like. Also, let's make fun of stupid Southern Americans because small towns in America, everyone knows they're just filled with dumb idiots. So I can write a story any way I like about them and people will just buy it because on the South, out, isn't the South of America so lame and dumb and stupid and racist let's do that as well uh so there are some good things in the film also hey guess what like and i think i need to whisper this one to you phil i've decided to put swearing in my film and i know that you shouldn't really swear because it's not polite but i decided to put swearing in my film <laughs> i decided to swear and not just that, i decided to swear all the time and i'm gonna use some swear words some people think are so rude they're not even funny so I've decided I'm going to put those in my film. Can you believe it? People are going to lose their mind. So that that's some of the things that are in this film. Are you having fun reviewing this film? Are you having fun listening to me review the film? I'm finding you quite annoying, to be honest, because I feel like this film is interesting. It's not like other films that you see oh. in terms of its narrative structure. In terms of the characters in the film, I don't think it is run of the mill. I can see what you're saying and how those are the sort of things that I think people would react to in a controversial way because... It's not necessarily the usual thing that you do in a film. But I think what I really liked about the film was the the fact that characters are introduced and the protagonist, played by Frances uh, McDormand, 
she sort of is sympathetic in one hand because she's got this awful incident in her life that's driving her but she's also kind of despicable and she's not really justified in what she does and i think the film really balances uh, your favor and you see things from different sides i think a lot of the time and your judgment of people uh, is sort of twisted and changed and uh, grows throughout the film and I think the road in which it explores these characters, and they are quite interesting characters, even if you don't like them, I think it's a, it's a fun ride and it's unexpected and it is serious and emotional. But at the same time, there is a set, it, I think it's a good black comedy because it deals with dark things in a funny way. There are funny scenes. This is good talk and cheese review because you're, you're helping balance out my sort of over the topness. I'm trying my best. <laughs> I do. But you mean that as well, don't you? You're not just saying it. Yeah, no, no. This is, this so is what I felt. I think what's interesting about what you just said there is the major assumption you made is that these are like actual characters. Whereas I didn't feel any of that about any of it because Frances Dormund, McDormand, I just didn't buy it. I think people are being spellbound because she's a terrific actress. She acts it really well. She's great. But I thought every time she was on screen, I could hear Martin McDonough talking through her mouthpiece and i hated that because of i had films. to study his plays oh did you really at, when i was an english student so ah. i read a play called the pillow man and that was whoa this is edgy well you're not gonna believe this because there's so much swearing in this film and it, it, it deals with real, like violence and really dark themes in a really offbeat manner and you're, oh, i won't believe it. it's like dark comedy and phil i was at university over 10 years ago so that is a 10 year old idea for me Mm. And then in Bruges, I quite liked because I thought Colin Farrell was really good in it, surprisingly, as was Brendan Gleeson and Ray Fiennes. Martin McDonough is getting away with all this stuff because he can attract really, really impressive actors and people behind But you don't think actual camera. writing is good? The jokes that they make and the, the sort of rhythm of their speech makes them sound like aliens to me. I don't then, buy it. Did you really? Is no, that I didn't. Buy, I didn't buy a single character in this film. It's like everyone has managed to see it differently than me. And I can't... And you feel like it's Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, and the thing, no, but the thing is, I can see what everyone is saying, but you have to leap over the problems that I have with the film to get to that point and start taking the theme seriously because I can't take the characters seriously. I can't take Martin McDonough seriously. Do you not... And I think, therefore, he, in my opinion, he doesn't treat the themes that he himself raises seriously. And I thought that was really poor. For a film that the whole point is about keeping an awful rape and murder in the public eye, it spent almost no time in the film dealing with that topic. But then I don't think that's really what the actual film is about. Is really concerned with uh, grief and... Uh, accountability for what you what's happened and I think it all kind of centers on that intense uh, drive that people have and why they do things and why they act the way that they do surely you don't think there's a single person in existence who would act the way that any of these people do no but I think it's almost like a fable because it's such a unique circumstance that it's been created it's a scenario it's like a play you create this uh, it is like a play you create this weird sort of playground and this in this playground is the town of Ebbing Missouri and everything takes place within that and the film takes effort to stage things so that you get a sense of the town and the characters in it and you go to the bar you go to the police station you go to the the billboard advertising you get a sense of the actual place and then you kind of let these characters play in it and kind of explore the scenarios and one person's actions lead to somebody else responding and in some ways i think you're you're probably gonna roll your eyes at this laurie i'll tell tell you listeners if he does but i feel like he the film's writer lets the characters dictate where the plot goes and he has listeners (laughs) he has but I genuinely feel like that because I didn't feel like I knew where the film was going at all. And just when you think there might be somebody coming into the story who is going to sort of turn it into a conventional narrative with a payoff at the end, it sort of takes the rug from under you. 
and it means that you're constant i felt constantly engaged and curious about what was going to happen and i was surprised okay all right I suppose I think I can't deny probably that it's maybe external factors then that are getting in the way of this for me because I just think that if there are any other English students who had to study McDonough listening to this I'd be really curious to know whether you had a similar response to me because I felt like I've seen all these bag of tricks already it's interesting to me that you picked up that he's a playwright as well because to me that was how it felt but there was one particular scene that I thought really showed that up more than even any of the others which is where Francis McDormand's ex-husband has got her by the throat in her house and then her son comes up with a knife and it's all it's very very stagey because then her ex-husband's girlfriend comes in and sees them and makes a couple of jokes as well even though her son's holding a knife she asks to use the bathroom that's what it is and I can just I, I could instantly picture that in the spotlight on the stage thinking that would kind of work that weirdly like fake drama and fake violence would work on the stage because that's how you communicate it but in a film it felt really weird and just a bit off didn't you think that felt a bit off um i know what you mean but i think it works i thought it was quite a funny idea that there's this sort of super intense uh heightened violent moment and then comedy as a result and that de-escalation as a result of it all I just um think, oh, but i feel like it's the coen brothers it rings so 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 but i don't think this me. is this is really what the coen brothers are going for i think coen brothers are going for a lot more realism in some ways they've got a very distinct start i think this is its own little universe where it's not reality uh, and so maybe that's where the you are talking about the stage here yeah that is, exactly that's what playwrights do and but that's why i didn't get it because he i don't think martin madonna <laughs> is doing that i don't i don't i think he's just trying to make a film i, I don't mm, i disagree i think i was thinking about it why if he's a playwright and he's a, an accomplished playwright why would he not make this into a play and i just don't think the story would work as a play it, it, it needs to be a film. I thought the same thing when I watched In Bruges as a result afterwards. Mm. Why has he done In Bruges? In Bruges is quite a good film. I yeah, I don't know Just how don't I like feel it about so it. I liked some bits of it. I didn't like some of it. I, I thought Seven Sofas was in some ways more interesting. I'll tell you, one thing that I certainly would give him credit for across all his work so far is he's a great ideas man. So the fact this whole three billboards and they say three different parts of the message is a really compelling idea and how it relates to it. And you could instantly, that idea makes you think, oh, I wonder how the police will respond. I wonder who's justified in this context, right? So he's very good with the ideas. I just thought his execution was not good enough. I thought it would have been better with with another scriptwriter and a different director. Listeners, it's time for your opinions, I think. Do get in touch with superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbabybros. Give us your plus ones and your minus ones. Very clear distinction there. So really, this is the time to settle this. I already know I'm going to be sucking out the minus ones. And incidentally, (laughs) Phil, I tallied up last year's Uh plus and minus ones. And you could not be more wrong about which way you thought the wind was blowing. Oh, really? Why? We'll come to it later. Okay. Oh, (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to give the film a uh, B plus. I think the acting was really good. The cast is fantastic. I think it's an interesting story. It's going expecting something which is uh, dark and violent and yeah, a lot of swearing. But I think there's something there. It's a C plus from me. It would be a C minus, but I gave it one shallow thing up for the cast and another one up uh, for the overall idea. But yeah, C plus. Okay, there you go. Okay, so as a breather from that contentious review, which I hope I haven't irritated and alienated everyone uh, from my contentious opinion, let's do two shorter ones, shall we? Yep, let's start with Darkest Hour. Let them see your true qualities. My poor judgment. Your sense of humour. Ho, ho, ho. Your Majesty. Mr. Churchill. I invite you to take up the position of Prime Minister. She's an actor in love with the sound of his own voice. You need to reply to the Lord Privy Seal. I am sealed in the Privy. 
bottle of champagne for lunch, another one at dinner. We are looking at the collapse of Western Europe in the next few days. You ask what is our aim? Victory at all costs! You're suggesting we're somehow winning. We're not. Is it true we're in full retreat? All our forces are now in Dunkirk, where we cannot reach them. They're pushing us into the sea. There is a question of peace talks between ourselves and Germany. Europe is still... Europe is lost. The Giants. You have the full weight of the world on your shoulders. How many men will survive? Go to the people. Tell them the truth. We must rouse to an heroic resistance. There's nothing patriotic in fighting to the end. Now is the time to negotiate. When will the lesson be learned? You cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. I take full responsibility. Really? Really, yes, sir. It is the reason I sit in this chair. Be yourself. Myself. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing ground. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender! For without victory, there can be no survival. Raphael, what did you think? Listeners, to be honest, I think <laughs> that's a very good impression. Better than Gary Oldman's, in my opinion. What? I Are feel, you serious? Yes, let me get it out. I need to get it out right now. It's been bugging me ever since I saw this film. Listeners, everything good in inverted commas about the film, you just heard in the trailer. The film is completely shallow. It's completely empty of anything actually oh discernibly word. interesting. We are in for this one firecracker such a bore- I, Honestly, <laughs> The Darkest Hour, which hour was it? Because they were both rubbish and they're both dark and boring. Phil, it was so slow. Right now? Everyone's getting so hyped up about Gary Oldman because he's wearing a fat suit and got some makeup on. He doesn't sound like Winston Churchill. doesn't look like Winston Churchill. I don't get it. If you Listeners, I wonder, if you didn't have his makeup right in your face, did you think that sounded like Winston Churchill? Because it didn't it, to me. Are you making and it doesn't, mistake it doesn't make sense. thinking that that is what should be done in such a film? I think when they're trying so hard to make it look, make him look like Winston Churchill and he absolutely fails, you've got a, a real problem. The film has no confidence in the makeup that he's got on no, because they shroud true. him in shadow the whole time. I think It's such a dark it. film and it doesn't need to be. Like, they make Parliament into this weird cave well, with beams of light I yes, shining do, yeah, in. I don't believe that's anything to do with Churchill or the makeup. Incidentally, Phil, factoid for you here, Gary Oldman convinced Kazuhiro Tsuji famed makeup artist of The Grinch, Planet of the Apes, and a whole load of other films that extensively use prosthetics. He convinced him to come out of retirement to do his makeup like that. I can see why he retired. No, 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 no. You're so so wrong about that because I think the the main thing you're getting wrong here is that Gary Oldman is not doing an impression of Churchill. And you can tell that by the way he plays the fight on the beaches speech because you can hear that, the real Churchill doing it on YouTube, and it's completely different. And there's no way that Gary Oldman wasn't aware that he was doing it differently. He's not trying to impersonate. He's trying to evoke a spirit and play a character. This is the character, Churchill. So you've got to bear in mind as well that this is coming after a really long line of very famous people playing Churchill, like Brian Cox uh, and Albert Finney as well. And so 
it's, he's been done so many ways. How can you possibly mess it up? It? Yeah, no, somehow he finds do a way it to in do a new it. way. And I really like it. it. Was something else that Gary Oldman said was that a lot of people play Churchill moving very slowly and in quite a cumbersome way because they look at the guy's frame and think, well, he must have moved like that. But actually, that's not uh, true. It, it, Gary Oldman had researched it, and Churchill was described by many people as walking very quickly and having a very a loss of energy and being very sprightly. And that's something that really comes across. It's a bit jarring at first because he does move quite quickly. He has moments where he comes across as a slow thinker, perhaps in some cases, slow but deep. But he moves very fast and he has a lot of power and passion at different moments. I was really, really impressed by the performance because I forgot it was Gary Oldman a lot. Whether I thought it was Churchill or not, I forgot it was Gary Oldman in terms of physicality. The only thing that did make me think of Gary Oldman sometimes wasn't the voice because he wasn't doing a Gary Oldman voice. He was. No, he wasn't. Listeners, it, no, no, you need there to email are in at this where point. Gary Oldman's twang comes in and I oh yeah, there's Gary. What I'm saying is people listening to the podcast won't have seen that trailer. You were watching the trailer. I saw you watching it and I was listening to the trailer. Uh-huh. He is just Gary Oldman. It just sounds no. like Gary Oldman doing a blurry voice so he sounds like you don't reason with a token. It's just ridiculous and I could not believe him as anything other than Gary Oldman in a fat suit. That. And I think not only that, that, that's my main issue which lots of people are praising the film for. I thought He's he was getting great. a Best Actor nomination for the Oscars and things. Regardless of his performance, regardless of his portrayal of Winston Churchill... The film is boring. It's a really boring film, which is so shallow because it it creates Winston Churchill into a caricature of himself, yeah, so a sort of car- Sunday morning cartoon hero. This is where we would agree because I didn't think that much of the film and I hold Joe Wright accountable. You'll know I'm the not a massive fan of Joe Wright. He did um, Anna Karenina, which I thought was... Did Atonement. Oh, he did uh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, well, so Pride and Prejudice and Atonement, fine. He did a good job there. He's working from pretty strong source material uh, when whenever he's gone off the beaten path i'm not a I mean, fan and some some of the shooting that you're referring to there like parliament with the rays of light i thought that was just a lame attempt at allegory rather than to hide the makeup so where does the beam of light fall i thought he was saying it's falling on the labor party mate the conservatives are in the dark <laughs> nice job <laughs> ouch uh and, and a few things and there's that, that scene where churchill's in a lift and it's all blacked out everywhere do you remember that one yeah and there are a couple of sort of weird moments of directorial flair that Joe Wright can't hold back from, but nothing that enhanced the film and a few things that just made it feel a bit... It was, like the tone was wrong, basically. So sometimes it was light and funny and sometimes it was way overly dark and melodramatic with the lights. And So I, I wasn't a massive fan of the film, but I, I think to fault Gary Oldman's performance is a mistake. No, I, I'm, I'm going to back myself massively. I, I think it's a bad performance. I don't think it's good. I think it's uh, silly and over the top and indulgent. And I, what's really annoying is I've been w- watching uh, Netflix, The Crown. Yeah, recently. yeah, John Lithgow. John Lithgow. I thought he was so, so, so much better, and his character is so, so much better. But that just probably means and he forms so much you more. Imagine Churchill is but like I think, better. But he doesn't though, because it, uh, having watched that show, they portray Winston Churchill f- what, like warts and all. He's a much more interesting character in that, and he's not the main character. He's a subsidiary to the Queen. Yeah, and I think they d- they certainly skated over the darker elements of Churchill here, and the, when they go on about his lapses in judgment or whatever it is they make him out to have just been generally misunderstood but actually he had the heart of a lion the whole way through and i i, I think it's interesting I, we need we said we're going to do a short review here i think the, the scene that nearly lost me was, the underground scene yeah that was, was just ridiculous silly. that, was I, that, really that encapsulates where i think the film is so that's shallow. Joe right i don't think that's gary oldman mate it's sentimental and silly and 
annoyingly trying to uh, recast history in a modern light. It's funny because if you that speech that he makes to that mini chamber is a real speech, but he doesn't reference random people that he met on the tube, of course, because he didn't. <laughs> Why would he do such it's just, a thing? It's just a ridiculous film. Uh, that was a bit silly, yeah. So I, I think we're in agreement there, Phil. The theme, film for me would get probably a B-. minus. I've got no particular desire to see it again, but I really did think Gary Oldman's performance was pretty brilliant. I'm going to give it a C- minus because I just don't, I didn't enjoy any part of the film. I thought it was shallow. What about Stephen really Delaney as Lord Halifax? I like him, Stannis. Mm, it just didn't give me anything. It didn't give me any history. It's about the the build up towards um, Dunkirk and everything. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. It, it seems so empty of any drama or any tension because you know what happens like we've just seen a massive film about Dunkirk and there's no tension in what he's doing you know Churchill's the hero you know he's going to win out yeah, what yeah, a boring yeah. waste I'm with of time you. I'm, I know exactly what you're saying I don't disagree I, except on Gary Oldman what do you think final point Lily James in this one uh, hot off the heels of Baby Driver uh, again doing a bit of a blank character that doesn't matter do you think so yeah I thought that was a terribly written character for her again she's not getting the roles she needs yeah uh, listeners, again, get your minus minus ones for me and plus ones to the Warriors. I'm sure you'll agree with him. But do get in touch with Bayboys at gmail.com or tweet right. us. Let's move it Bay along. Let's move it along. Two films time. The Commuter. Morning. Hey, kiddo. I love you. It's my first time on a commuter train. What about you? Every day. Last 10 years. Ten years? You must know everyone on this train. I'm sorry, have we met? No, I'm Joanna. Michael. I study human behavior. My job is to answer one basic question. What's that? What kind of person are you? Let's do an experiment. What if I asked you to do something that could profoundly affect an individual on this train? I don't understand. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. In the bathroom, there is $75,000. That money is yours if you do this one little thing. I thought this was hypothetical. You have until next stop to decide. What kind of person are you? I'm not going to do this. Trying to set me up. No one forced you to take that money. What do you want from me? It's just one little thing. Phil, what did you describe this film as when you listened to the trailer? Uh, taken on a train. Yeah, interesting. Everyone's uh, drawing that parallel with Taken, which really surprises me because the most obvious comparison is non-stop. Have you seen that? No. That's Liam Neeson on a plane and he's an air marshal <laughs> who discovers there's a terrorist on the flight and then all the while like he seems to be being set up and there's like a conspiracy. So he's got to find the terrorist before something terrible happens that on a plane. That must be the biggest B-movie ever or something. Well, yeah, that's right. On a B-Boeing... B- <laughs> I can't think of a plane <laughs> name. Uh, this, this is basically that film on a train because it's Liam Neeson, the commuter. You know, you heard it all in the trailer there, listeners. He's got to find someone on the train who doesn't belong and he's a grizzled ex-cop commuter insurance salesman now who has just been laid off. That's happens at the beginning of the film so he's on his train home having lost his job so when this woman mysterious woman Vera Farminger turns up offering money it's like a bigger deal yeah she's, mm. she's good isn't she she's got a good screen presence I think this film listeners is exactly what it says on the tin and entertaining in all those ways it's amazing it's like they had a blank piece of paper and said right guys how many scenarios can we get out of the train 
how many action scenarios can we get out of the train and everything you can imagine they've done it they've absolutely done it it's incredible and but you that's you, some <laughs> there's some sort of respect for that I yeah think. i like it it's that's classic b movie right high concept we're on a train bad stuff's happening what can we do <laughs> and you know get flashbacks from mission impossible back to the future like all speed? kinds of films yeah speed definitely of course speed i mean even though they've never been on a train of course but you can also for the, this exact reason see the point where they ran out of ideas and they just thought that's it we stretch it as far as it'll go because oh, they, should we wrap it up then <laughs> yeah, it's kind of obvious when it happens and then it all just descends into lunacy basically uh but up until that point it's fun another thing i want to give it credit for is you know with taken there's a very famous uh youtube video you. about him no climbing over a fence have you seen it oh that was taken too it was the editing uh was just ridiculous it's like 17 shots for that's show right. jumping over a fence that's it and it, the impression you get is that liam neeson couldn't vault that fence but they there were so many rapid cuts of tiny moments of that action that it makes it look like it's almost like someone has taken loads of photos of someone jumping over a fence and stuck them together and done like stop motion or something it's <laughs> it's really worth looking at and i thought that meant that liam neeson as an older chap now it's just not able to do action scenes. But this film goes the opposite way and it has some pretty impressive action, I thought. With not, him not, in the centre. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly well choreographed or daring or anything, but it doesn't cut around a lot. And instead, you're kind of with him and it feels a bit breakneck. And, oh, what is, Does that this mean it's go? good action sequences? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. One of them involves a guitar, which is brilliant. Like, uh, it's the genuine... Jackie Chan style. Well, I won't, I won't give anything away because, you know, I won't. Um, I, so I, I like that as well. I thought that Sam Neill deserves better than the bit part he gets in this film. And I also thought, uh, I've kind of had enough, I, I don't know why it's happened to you recently, but I've, I'm starting to lose my patience with uh, certain kinds of uh, exposition when it comes to character. Mm-hmm. Like, you might as well just write their character bio and, too and have it appear in the credits. Like a character file. <laughs> so we don't have to hear a character <laughs> Like in a play, it. you just read what yeah, they are. Yeah, I'd so much rather have that than, you know, there's a scene in a bar, it's like, you were one of the best, you were you were a good cop. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. It just, you know, greats after a while. So if you can switch off that kind of thing, and if you can absolutely shut down in the back of your mind that little voice that says, why? Or what? <laughs> or how? <laughs> shut those off, and you'll probably enjoy it. I'm sort of picturing somebody that we both know really loving this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've already recommended it to them. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Policeman. 100%. <laughs> and I liked it. So, you know, I'm right there with it. So, yeah, there you go. Brainless Fun. It gets a, a B from me. I'd oh, watch cool. it happily. And, it, you know, I'd far rather watch a film like that. And maybe this says something about me. I don't know. Um, that I, you know, I kind of know what to expect and know I'm going to be entertained at the very least uh, than either of the other two films we've just reviewed. Uh, can I ask, does it have a good resolution or does it leave a bad taste in the mouth? Uh, not a bad taste in the mouth, but not exactly a good taste. It's not it a way. good, solid ending. Like I said, there's a point in the film where they clearly start running. goes off the rails, even though it's oh, on a train. Oh, imagine, imagine. Uh, right, there you go. The commuter. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at Superbellybros on Twitter. That's how you do a short review, Phil. All right. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Now, Phil, you made a good suggestion there during the break. We need to review a film that is more likely to prove upbeat, I think. And yes, said film is Coco. Coco. Every year, grandkids, cousins, pretty much everyone gets together. Even great-grandma Coco. And the winner is... Luchadora Coco! I tell her pretty much everything. I used to run like this, but now I run like this. It's just way faster. Life sounds like... Miguel, eat your food. Here, have some more. No, gracias. <gasps> I mean, see? <laughs> That's what I thought you said. 
Dia de los Muertos has begun. It's the one night of the year our ancestors can come visit us. I thought it might have been one of those made-up things. I was just... But Tonight is about family. I am not like the rest of my family. There's something that makes me different. Great-great-grandfather, I want to be a musician just like you. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. Welcome to the land of your ancestors. <laughs> Miguel? We're your family. You're skeletons. You're alive. You've got to get home before sunrise or you'll be stuck here <laughs> for what? forever. <laughs> Security. Hurry, come on. It's showtime. You, my boy, are meant to be a musician. I must follow my heart. I am trying to save your life. Nice kitty. Miguel, something smattered more than music. <gasps> Sorry. We may have our differences, but nothing's more important than family. It's just Dante. Never name a street dog. They'll follow you forever. Now, go get my shoe. Listeners, Pixar are back and they're not doing a sequel. This isn't Finding Dory. This isn't Cars 3. This is a brand new original story set to the Mexican Day of the Dead. And you will have heard a lot of this in the trailer. So I like doing it this way because we don't have to explain too much. Yeah, it's not too bad, is it? Like, normally the trailers do a quite good job yeah, of setting the plot. Surprisingly enough. But I will set you up with a couple of the characters' names and things like that. Coco is, in fact, the great-grandmother of Miguel. And Miguel is the centre of the, the film. He's a guy who loves music, loves... Uh, He's a little boy, yeah. He loves playing guitar and he, he idolises this guy, De La Cruz, who's meant to be the legend of Mexican music and everything like that. But his family uh, have, uh, because of their history, right back to their great, 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 great grandmother, uh, have banned music. And that's what going down generations, they've said no to music. And he is torn between his love of music and what his family want. And it all coincides on Las Muertas, the Day of the Dead, the Mexican Day of the mm, Dead. Yeah. And uh, a time when you get together as family and he wants to go play music and Lo and behold, he ends up in the the City of the Dead. That's right. And the City of the Dead, incidentally, listeners, which is a fantastically imagined, beautiful neon city. You almost wish Ghost in the Shell could have took notes from it because it just <laughs> looks amazing. Uh, filled with spirit animals and then dead people. <laughs> but they're, they're sort of skeletons with a mystical kind of hue about them, aren't they? Yeah, and they've got, rather than being sort of anatomical skeletons, they're uh, like the Mexican Day of the Dead skeletons, yes, right. which are sort of uh, colourful and decorative and they have... In- uh, kind of beautiful carvings on their face and they, they're quite friendly looking rather That's than right. uh, mean spirited and there's sort of a catch to it which is that they also want to go and visit their living relatives because on the day of the dead there's this petal bridge that opens up and if you, your family have put your photo in the shrine where they go to remember family members who passed away you can visit them um, but not everyone gets to do that because if the family forget them, the living family forget them then yeah, then that's it and they, they fade away so there's a few sort of extra pressures in there aren't there? Yeah. Listen, it so easily could have been a very run-of-the-mill sort of film, um, which is lazy and just kind of by the numbers. And yet there's so much vibrancy, so much love for the culture which it's using to um, 
illustrate the story it just becomes a really vibrant experience with characters that you care about that are interesting yeah um with a plot that you can't necessarily pin down you might predict what's going to happen but it's still but quite not really an... i don't think I, yeah. I got i got there i think um, yeah i did and uh it was just fun it was a really really fun movie and all the ways in which pixar i think have uh, stumbled recently I felt like this was this is what Pixar do. That's right. I completely agree, Phil. And you know that, listeners, if you've been listening for a long time, that Phil and I weren't huge fans of Inside Out. You know, it wasn't a bad film, but it wasn't perfect. And I think to encapsulate our problem with it, it seemed that the thematic ideas overtook the nature to storytelling, basically. And it sort of made the characters hard to relate to and the situation problematic. This film is the reverse of that. I think because the characters are so strong and the story is so involved and the setting is so vivid and entrancing, it actually means that the themes can be explored brilliantly. And the film tackles some pretty serious themes. Like, you won't see them coming. Bro, I, I, I cried twice towards the end. Yeah, it was yeah, embarrassing. Seriously. I couldn't stop crying. It was, like, emotional. I completely agree with you. And I was really blown away by that because it's rare nowadays that that happens through... Uh, in like identifying with characters on the screen and one of the key characters uh, that Miguel bumps into in this land of the dead is Hector who is uh, a sort of trampy type uh, skeleton who also kind of maybe is a musician you don't really know he uh, he his family haven't put um, up a, a picture of him exactly and he, so that's why I say he sees yeah. Miguel as an opportunity if he can get him back to the the land of the living he can give him his photo and then uh, Miguel will remember him and he won't won't be uh, die the second death which that's is quite right. a dark idea isn't it's it it's very dark and that's what I mean like but it's handled brilliantly in the film they, they do that and they, it's a great I kind of thought like this would be a brilliant way even though it's about a slightly you know, an unusual festival with the dead coming back to life and crossing petal bridges and stuff, but not coming back to life. You know, it's actually quite a good way to encourage kids to have to, you know, to deal with loss and, and like kind of broach that idea. I can imagine my kids seeing this film and finding it sad, but also intriguing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it it's one of those ones which it's hard to see it from a child's perspective because what do you make of this yeah. idea? For an adult, I just found it just emotional because it sparks off. Right, um, right. The whole idea of uh, people gone and remembering them and losing them. Oh, oh it's, it hits it's a lot, you right it's a lot. deep. And, it earned, and like you're saying, it really earns its payoff at the end. And the story is is winding and interesting. There's one uh, moment that I thought wasn't so good. Which and I, It's towards the end, um, a, uh, a villain emerges of sorts. And I felt like they... They teased out the the drama a bit too much. I know what you're saying. There was one moment when you thought, okay, it's reached that stage, and then they just stretched it out another 10, 15 minutes, and it meant, oh, come on, let's get going. It's a good point. I know exactly what you mean by that, actually, because by that point, you feel like you know what's coming. So. You, you feel like the ending is already there, so let's get on with it. Mm, possibly. Um, I feel we should say, incidentally, that part of the reason there's an adventure in this Land of the Dead at all is that Miguel, of course, very quickly bumps into his relatives in the World of the Dead, but they refuse to help him get back unless he promises not to play music again. And he doesn't want to do that because he loves music and his family hates it and all this sort of stuff. So there's also big questions about identity and life's purpose, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, following your passion. and Basically, you can tell us, Phil and I loved it. For, for me, the only thing I... It wasn't that I didn't like it. I just thought there's a bit of an acquired taste aspect here. Is that because of the way they animate the skeletons, you know, they don't have muscles or sinews or anything, there's a very elastic feeling to the way that they move. 
and it's sort of stretching and moving around and, and because there's a lot of pace and there's a lot of height there's, the dimensions are big in the day of the dead there's a lot of height uh, as well as a lot Think of the depth. woods of Lothlorien or yeah something. right but there's a lot of movement and so I felt that the film was moving at a fast pace all the time and if you are you know older then it's actually quite hard I think to keep track sometimes kids mm. won't have a problem but just the way that it's uh, animated and the sort of limited colour palette I thought it sort of becomes it, an assault it's a bit of a mush on the screen in, in a few places but I don't don't really know what they could have done to avoid that some of the design though is absolutely wonderful the one yeah, of the spirit beautiful. animals that pops up is this sort of panther thing that i thought was so cool and yeah, beautiful it's, it's got like a neon um arty pattern which i think must be based on uh, pictures that uh, are done on the day of the dead and i thought it was brilliant there i was surprised as well because there's dante the dog which you heard about um, yes in the film and i it's the classic dopey dog that for you some f- reason is always in films and it's a bit of a movie hate of mine like why is it's there never a cool dog character why is there it? never yeah. a cool dog and his tongue is hanging out all the time. Surprisingly, he didn't bother me. Like, they used him in a way that was fun it's and interesting. because Miguel is so strong and they don't overplay his hand, basically, the dog's hand. And, <laughs> Paul, uh, rather, yeah. <laughs> um, just to point out another thing, I really credit Pixar for avoiding falling into the trap of feeling like they need to put celebrities in their films. Yes, to voice them. And this is so in the face of what Disney's doing with their live action stuff. Get good voice characters, and you, these characters come alive. And well, and I don't know; I haven't looked at the cast, but they appear to be Mexican in heritage, so that the accents sound. So they're authentic. they're celebrities in sort of Mexican culture, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're less well known. One of them you might recognise is um, the boyfriend in Miss Congeniality. He plays uh, Dela Cruz. The yeah, that's the right. No, Spanish that's um, oh, what's his name? Oh, I know his name. Went out with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's got a sort of weird name you don't expect. Yeah, yeah, but I know exactly who you mean. Uh, but also, Gal uh, Garcia Bernal is in it as well. Yeah, and he's uh, a another big name yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh what one final thing to round off with and instantly my grade is an a i thought it was great yeah i agree massively. um uh i one thing that's interesting is did you know that disney tried to trademark the phrase day of the dead uh, and presumably that's because they wanted to call the film that and this was a long time ago before it got released really and mexico were like what are you doing you can't trademark our actual festival so that's disney, like saying christmas is a yeah, disney term it's ridiculous so but disney Ugh. backed away from that and they made some weird pr statement Ugh. but the fact that they even tried that's to do so that icky. in the that's first so place icky. so and that's why it's called coco i think because, which is a better name because you don't see it coming and i don't want to spoil it now yeah Sure, exactly. But there's a very clear reason why it's the called The main Coco. character is Miguel. But yeah, so it was going to be called that. And so then I went into it worried because I'd picked up a bit of buzz about is this culturally insensitive or is it cultural appropriation? And I have to admit, I don't know the answer to that because I don't know the culture well enough. But I did leave thinking, this is fascinating. I really want to know more about the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Yeah, so if you do are from, uh, if you are Mexican or from Mexican uh, family, I'd be really interested to hear your perspective on it. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw a YouTube guy who is Mexican American, and he was saying how wonderful it was to see um, his culture put on screen lovingly and not sort of in a way that was um, ham fisted and just or using. Uh, yeah, but actually trying to understand. And, and there's a love for it, is what he described it as. And so, and. I just thought it was a lovely film and yeah. I can't really see anyone not enjoying some aspects of it. It did remind me a little bit of Spirited Away in parts. Um, yes, I hear you. And it borrows yeah. some of the ideas of that. Um, I don't think it's better than Spirited Away, but if I think it's a very good film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Highly recommended. Get your thoughts in. Superbellybros at gmail.com at Superbellybros on Twitter. Do we need to keep saying that after every review? I think we normally don't need to because <laughs> but the thing is we've had lots of divisive what films right now. Yes. So I feel like we want to get those plus ones and minus ones in. That's true. Okay. <laughs> All right, Phil, should we do another double? Yes. Let's do another Oscar contender, The Post. So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh, dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're going to like the real one either. 
Do you have the papers? Not yet. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. The Times has 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. Okay, people are concerned about having a woman in charge of the paper. That she doesn't have the resolve to make the tough choices. Thank you, Arthur, for your frankness. Let's do our jobs. Find those pages. You're talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? Ben, I might have something. It must be precious cargo. It's just government secrets. The New York Times was barred from publishing any more classified documents dealing with the Vietnam War. If you'd publish, we'll be at the Supreme Court next week. Meaning? Well, we could all go to prison. To make this decision, to risk her fortune and the company that's been her entire life, well, I think that's brave. If the government wins, the Washington Post will cease to exist. If we don't hold them accountable, who will? We can't hold them accountable if we don't have a newspaper. Nixon will muster the full power of the presidency, and if there's a way to destroy you, by God, he'll find it. I'm asking your advice, Bob, not your permission. She can't do this. The legacy of the company is at stake. What will happen if we don't publish? We will lose. The country will lose. What are you going to do, Mrs. Graham? Now, Phil, having just seen the trailer again, I've got to say the thing that is on my mind every time I see a poster for this and the trailer. I can't believe they use the font that they used. It's like that version of Helvetica that appears on iMovie, and it's got slightly extended J loops and stuff. And I, I can't disassociate it from like a cheesy holiday movie <laughs> that you can make. It's a strange, strange choice. Uh, they were originally going to call this film uh, The Papers, and well, uh, then they switched it back. Listen, this is from Steven Spielberg. It stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Uh, Steven Spielberg decided to do this in response to Donald Trump, and he fast-tracked it. Oh, really? It. Is that actually true? Yep. That's he fast-tracked annoying. it. Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> he fast-tracked it, and um, even though he'd been working on Ready Player One, which is still to come out, yeah. he got this one out sooner because he felt it was so important to get it out there and in response to uh, Donald Trump talking about fake news and, yeah, and yeah, journalist yeah, yeah, integrity yeah. and how important journalism is and, and the truth and all this sort of stuff. I feel I should very, very clearly state, I think that's a good thing to do instantly. I think that is a, re- is a good, timely film and everything else. But it's just interesting because my one criticism, really, my major criticism of this film is that it reaches so far through the cinema screen to the audience to make those points about the importance of a free press and freedom of speech uh, and everything I, I thought it was it was weirdly on the nose for Steven Spielberg some of those moments and the fact that that is why he did it makes it just much more obvious that that is actually the case this is I didn't like this film at all I oh, really it was, I thought it was really shallow and I, I said that the same thing about Darkest Hour but it's so see-through in what it's trying to do yeah and yeah, actually I feel like in, in a weird sort of way it becomes just odd like the, they take the, the idea of the truth being so important and so integral and you've got to tell the truth and it's important the press tells the truth and the way that they do that is take a story 
and not tell the truth of that story. Do you think so? Do yeah, you know the truth? The listeners, this is about the Washington Post and then publishing the, the Pentagon, Pentagon Papers, Papers yeah. which was a massive thing. It was, it was uh, president's uh, involvement in Vietnam and the steps they take. This reached back over four or five presidents, the JFK, Lyndon B. Johnson, and then Nixon as well. The film seems to focus very much on Nixon, even though more of it was about Lyndon B. Johnson and JFK, but that doesn't fit the narrative, so they don't do that. Also... Um, New York Times did it first. They published it first. But and that's then, in the film, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but the thing is, the New York Times published it first, and they make it into a footnote, and instead they focus on this story, but I don't really know why, because well, all, all that I they think, did yeah. was do the same thing that the, the New York Times does, but afterwards. But the thing is that the film is ultimately about Meryl Streep's character, and... I th- I cannot I cannot get my head around this decision you know, that they I, make it. I feel like I need to explain it to you straight away, Phil, because I think that's clear, isn't it? The difference between what the Washington Post did and the New York Times did was the New York Times published it and then were issued with whatever it was by the Nixon administration to stop publishing. The Washington Post knew that was out there and decided to publish anyway, knowing that they were going to get hit by the same lawsuit, right? But the New York Times had to go to court as well and yeah, everything but they, like that. Yeah, but that was a different issue. So the Washington Post could have kept its nose clean and out of that, but they thought, no, we, this is a paper that we need to sell. And I thought they actually managed to do a bit of nuance there by showing that Ben Bradley, the editor, that's Tom Hanks's character, you could tell that he had mixed motives for it. He wasn't a hero of journalism necessarily. He also wanted to do it because he wanted to sell papers. That's his job. He's an editor. He needs to get the big story out there. So he had mixed motives wanting to publish it, get our paper to the top, let's stop being small. Be a big leagues paper, yeah. Whereas Meryl Streep's character is shown to be doubting all the way through. And Graham, she has a, Catherine Graham, that's right. And she has financial reasons not to publish it because she needs her investors not to pull out, as well as social reasons. So she is the one who has the most to lose. And it ultimately, it, it's a very, I thought it was quite a clever way of showing that whatever you think about her character or her position, she is the one who is the person who is ultimately behind this because she decides to forge ahead with far more to risk than um, anyone else and with of, more noble motives as well. Sort of, but I feel like the film is constructed around one moment that they really want to sell and I think there's a scene which happens later on with uh, Meryl Streep's character walking yeah, past yeah. the lot of people. This is what I mean about people reaching through the screen. Oh, and it was, it was it weirdly sickening. unsubtle for a guy like Steven Spielberg. Again, I support all the messages. I just think it's weirdly... It's so ham-fisted. Yeah, it was weirdly clunky for a guy of, of his calibre. And that I think that everything you just said at the beginning makes sense. If it was rushed through, that's why then, isn't it? It's, uh, I just thought, it, and I didn't think it was particularly interesting. I don't think they really raised the stakes very well. I, don't, I think the film is told in kind of a competent way. Steven Spielberg can't make an, a bad film in, in one sense, but it's not a very engaging film. It's not very... Um, it spends a long time setting up kind of nothing. The plot is very basic yeah. because it's about one decision, really. Well, it, what's interesting as well is that it's co-written by Josh Singer and he was involved in the writing of Spotlight as well. And, and I think he was involved in The West Wing and things like yeah, that Yeah, sure, well. exactly. So, and there is a very similar vibe here to Spotlight. Spotlight is so but much better. The, and the, really the key difference is that Spotlight, it's all about the investigative journalism and making progress and finding leads and breaking the story. This isn't really about that. This is about legalities and about the freedom of the press. It's looking at the top level of stuff and naturally, therefore, it has to look at people who are much less kind of sympathetic because we are unrelatable because we don't know what it's like to be friends of the John F. Kennedy. We don't know what it's like to be the owner of a you know a paper. You, you see what I mean? I, think I that's do see what you mean, yeah. but I feel like it just is... It, they're trying to make me care about um to to put it in a modern context and i don't think this will be a popular thing to say Uh because it's set in the past but anyway to put it in a modern context if i feel like they're saying care about a rich white woman who and the what she did not don't care about the don't care about the journalists who actually 
put the effort in to find out something who also risk similar amounts of things and they're not these wealthy guys they're not these guys who have power they're not friends with these politicians who are being you know what i mean like but this is and this they is want why, to make a hero out of this but woman. this is why i think it's and i i know that's exactly my point is it's less relatable because of who we're looking at but it doesn't diminish the fact that it really was her who made that decision and she did have a lot to lose and that even if she's a rich white woman she still has to make those decisions but then so I, think, I, I think you're. I, I think yeah. in the film it becomes a car- she becomes a cartoon. The way that she is uh, well, cajoled and yeah. swayed by her advisors, she has no backbone whatsoever. I disagree, and I think the whole—that's the film's whole point—is that, and she has a really great uh, conversation with her daughter. Isn't that Alison Brie as well in the film? It, I thought it was. Someone, don't it looked think like so. her. Um, she has a conversation with her daughter about that, and she just says, "Well, that's the way it was back then." And my father didn't give the company to me; he gave it to my husband. Then my husband died, and. I, I, I liked it because it really did show the emergence of like the transition when women just weren't involved in that and then became involved and not just that. I thought that was a horrible that... scene because it's just explaining the movie. Like well, you were an idiot, look, you didn't we, pick up we on what it was. We both agreed that it was slightly clunkily done. We need to stop talking, it's supposed to be one of our short reviews, Phil. Uh, slightly clunkily done, but I, I disagree with you that it's bad. I was interested by it because I didn't really know anything about this story. I thought the performances were strong. I thought Meryl Streep, for everything we say about Meryl Streep, you know, she laughs all the time and she's just on screen you know she's got this bravado and she actually played underconfident very well she played underconfident well and then she immediately switches to super confident no she confident. didn't immediately yes, she switch did. No, she, she did I watched Phil, the movie Laurie Phil, Phil, Phil. I watched the movie well I watched it too mate <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed Tom Hanks who hasn't been nominated for an Oscar I don't know whether it's an Oscar yeah and that's the thing which I think why I'm so vitriolic towards this film really? because it's got nominated for an Oscar and I don't think it's that good well it didn't get nominated for the Golden Globes I don't think really did it yeah or it did he got nominated for best Act- uh, director really mm. no he didn't yeah really the golden yeah. globes yeah Crikey, that doesn't seem right <laughs> um, exactly well exactly I, I thought tom hanks's performance was quite good because he played sort of gruff uh like bulldog charisma that's not very sympathetic quite well and he wasn't mr everyman he was playing someone who was very privileged and i've not really seen tom hanks do that much before so uh i liked it much more than you it would seem i i thought like you're saying it's reaching out and it's using this story to Tell, a, tell an agenda even as much as you want to even yeah. as even if you agree with the agenda of freedom of the press and taking on people when they're corrupt and everything like that yeah and, which people do <laughs> yeah yeah like every, like who doesn't yeah yeah anyway regardless of that i feel like it's it's plucking this random story out of history that fits their sort of narrative goals in a modern sense and then they're telling it I'm even though sure. there's a story which is uh, just as much in, more interesting or as equally interesting in the New York Times. They don't give equal weight to it. They make it about this one paper. But can you really blame them? Because it is a good opportunity to show a pioneering woman doing what she did and people speaking up for the freedom of the press. All stories, Phil, are told in their historical context. No, I right? know, but so I, I think, I think it, it, was, it, was, it was weak, basically. It wasn't done very well. We need to move on. I think I think for, you can. Phil and I have made our points. We're not going to win each other over by looks of things. So for me, Phil, it would get a, a B plus. I liked it. I'd watch it again. I thought I thought it was dull and not very good, and I, it just irritates me because maybe this is the real reason, or I feel like it's the outer reasons, not the film. I think if you look to the film without the cast, without the attachment of Steven Spielberg, without the current political context, I don't think anyone would say this film is noteworthy. Like I said, they get made in context. I know, I, I know. It was good and then the other thing is, is I'm a bit annoyed because Wind River didn't get any nominations. I'm with you on that one. And I, I feel that like was, that is an actual film yeah. which is really important. That saying. was unfairly overlooked. I think yeah. I agree with that. All right. Uh, what's the next <laughs> in quote short review? Oh yeah, I'm going to do A Woman's Life, aren't I? Okay, A yeah. Woman's Life. Est-ce que tu m'aimeras toute ta vie Bien sûr. 
épouse Julien, ton père et moi, nous allons l'accueillir dans notre famille comme un fils. Et quand moi, il me plaît, je le trouve très... Il me plaît énormément. Jeanne, s'il te plaît. Jeanne, s'il te plaît, arrête. Arrête. Je te donne pardon. Je t'en supplie. Rosalie. Est-ce que Monsieur Julien est le père de ton enfant Oui, mon père. Dieu n'aime pas le péché de chair, mais il déteste encore plus le mensonge. is enough of that not because I didn't like it but because I think you've got the idea of the tone and unless you're a fluent French speaker that's not going to make much sense to you so this is an adaptation of a Guy de Maupassant novel uh, about a woman who lived in the early 19th century France sort of aristocratic and the trials and tribulations she goes through uh, and it's an interesting film it's a seriously acquired taste type film the ratio is very square and it's got a grain to it uh, and a sort of neutral, faded colour uh, palette that clearly wants you to believe that this is ultra-realist in a certain way. Right. Um, and sort of the the actors don't speak into the mics. Like the, the audio is arranged in such a way that you're getting very natural room acoustics. So you, it's very fly on the wall for almost all of it, except for slightly odd passages where you have very mopey piano and occasionally um, a sort of voiceover where the main character will be reading extracts from a book or from her diary or something. But Sounds, lo- fun. Sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, the long and the short of it is that uh, she falls in love with uh, a guy quite quickly. She happily works on her father's farm. They're fairly wealthy, live in a big house uh, overlooking the sea. A guy turns up and she falls for him. They get married and very quickly she discovers that he's unfaithful but also just unpleasant. Uh, and then lots of other things happen. And it, she continually makes compromises for the sake of other people and it just gets terribly, terribly treated. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking and difficult. It's also quite slow and in places a bit boring because it's gone for this hyper-realist approach to stuff. And perhaps knowing France, you might enjoy it more. Uh, but I did find it powerful from a thematic point of view because I was really struck by the fact, and, and the film is honest about it in its portrayal, that the, the character, she's sort of, it's not just that people treat her badly. It's like her whole life has been controlled and funneled into a certain point so that she couldn't be anyone other than she is because she's not entirely sympathetic. Like there are scenes where she comes across as a bit petulant or a bit naive or childish. And you kind of think if she wasn't any of those things, she might have made smarter decisions. But actually the film does a good job of showing how even that wasn't her choice. Like when she's young and enjoying being on the farm, actually she has to go away to a convent and get taught by nuns in how to be kind of ladylike and girlish, right? And so by the time she comes back, she she has known nothing and seen nothing and is instantly swept off her feet by this boy. So she's been encouraged to be girlish all her life, so she's utterly unprepared for his sort of philandering and terrible decisions. And it's quite a depressing film, basically. I, I wanted to find it more moving than I did. Um, and I think it was just one of those cases where like, I wished I brought more water into the cinema with me because like, I was feeling snoozy at various points because it's so sort of plodding and, and naturalistic. But I think if you can stomach the subtitles and that style of film, it is a powerful message and even more powerful for the fact that this was written like over 100 years ago uh, and there was this growing awareness of how ludicrous it is, the life that women were forced to lead, even wealthy women uh, at that point in time. So interesting, but... Probably not for me. I'd give it a, uh, a B minus, B- yeah.
Okay, there you go. What was it called again? A Woman's Life. Is that all right, Phil? Yeah, I kind of, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like my cup of tea. I don't think many people will go to see it, and I don't think it's being screened all over the place, and you definitely need to be in exactly the right frame of mind to really enjoy it. But it's, there is a lot there. There's a lot there that's powerful, and the performances are great. I mean, forgive me, listeners, I don't have the actor and actress's names in front of me, but um, I, w- I was convinced, utterly, the realism really succeeded. But, man, it's depressing, yeah. Is there a film you could compare it to? I'm not really sure. To begin with, I thought it was going to be like, uh, what's his face? Terrence Malick? Mm-hmm. Um, Tree of it, Life or something like that. Yeah, because it had this like dream-like um, montage feel, like with that floaty piano and sort of endless shots of people twirling around in the wind on a, you know, on a clifftop. <laughs> I really don't like Terrence Malick. Uh, but it wasn't like that. It was much more realistic than that, yeah. Okay. What was the grid again? Well, B-, minus, but I'm not sure that's entirely fair. Go see it yourselves. Okay, <laughs> and then tell Laurie if he's right or wrong. That's it. Okay, we've got a couple of emails from you. Thanks so much for being in touch, and hope you managed to stick with us through that Mammoth Review special. You mean an point. absolutely film spectacular deluxe edition? There was a lot going on, wasn't there? I was a bit worried about a woman's life being last, because I think if, you know, me falling asleep during the film, hopefully, you know, <laughs> wake up, just in case you fell asleep. <laughs> You, you there, snap out of it. All right. Listen. Phil, email song. It's time for the emails, emails, coming from the listeners, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, you've gone rock today. Yeah. <laughs> I, classic I, vibe. I cringe every time afterwards, I regret <laughs> it immediately. Welcome to my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we've got one here from the Pixel Bro. Hey, hey, happy new year, bros. Writing is mid-listening to season 3.02 because I had to mention a film technique I love spotting. And I guess this is in reference to me talking about slow zoom. Slow zoom, yeah. I keep spotting those, man. I love it. Love mm. it. Uh, the this character is about to die motif. <laughs> and he says, Big Hero Is there going to be some spoilers right now? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Big Hero 6 is a massive culprit, as is Moana. I suppose, is it debatable? He says the Lion King is significant for not using it, which is why, spoiler alert's death is so gut-punching. I don't count the horror or slasher thing which delights in a surprise death, e.g. Deep Blue Sea, uh, when a character is suddenly having a really heartfelt, motivational, post-free conversation with the protagonist and they are a relative of the same. It's curtains even more than wearing a red shirt in Star Trek. I love spotting it. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's good when you can see what they're doing and like building up to that moment because you feel That's like you're true. ahead of the game. Big Hero 6 is one of the biggest ever because I, I yeah I got that instantly. And you're right, it's a kind of a, it's a too good to be true moment. Everything looks like it's looking up. Oh no, it isn't. Death. <laughs> <laughs> but Lion King, talking of that, that's a great scene because you really feel like Mufasa is the man or the lion and yeah. he can do anything. And you even when he's like crawling his way up the mountainside you still think this guy's got it he knows what to do and then he's like brother help me it's very good no i'm with you on that one uh more generally he carries on spotting the setback when a resolution comes too soon in a film is a fun game can't think of an example off the top of my head i know exactly what you mean the plot beat yeah they think it's all over but it isn't (laughs) yeah 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 that kind of thing it's like well we've won the day but hang on (laughs) what about (laughs) this this? real gold (laughs) yeah that kind of thing (laughs) Uh, even more than Lost in Translation-esque atmospheric non-sequiturs, I love films which deliberately play with expectations. Wes Anderson, very good for this. The Jaguar Shark turning out to be real in the life aquatic. Yeah, good point. Uh, and as is Captain Fantastic, he says. And he gives an explicit example here. Are, these get, are we getting too new, Phil? Are these too spoilery? 
Yeah, I think Captain Fantastic people are still catching up on. But I basically, Pixel Bro, I agree with you. He says, cognitive dissonance equals delightful filmmaking. <laughs> I strongly agree that noticing this stuff improves enjoyment, though I appreciate this isn't true for all, brackets my wife, for example, and also <laughs> think it's contingent on it being a good film in the first place. Yes, yeah, that's true. It's, it's one when you look deeper and it's even more good yeah nice nice one <laughs> that's bad uh, <laughs> plus one to laurie and minus one to phil for paddington 2 of course uh, it stayed the right side of the line i didn't enjoy the second half of the first film which is why the third act of the second with all its firing check off guns was enjoyable rather than frustrating to me which is you know your point there mm. phil that annoyed you the delivery of the wall gun element in act one being reminiscent of amelie or the royal tenenbaums helped with this fast cuts with a voiceover doing efficient character introduction the wall gun element. Oh, Is right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understood. Yep, yep, yep. I think I beat Laurie in the quiz, though weirdly made the same mistake as him with The Matrix. Clearly, a world without you would have been better. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Uh, more to say, but not today. Loving season three and the banjo <laughs> intro. Oh, you forgot about that, did you? Yeah, I I wasn't so sure about that one, listeners. That's another little rhyming catchphrase, by the way. More what to say, it? but not today. Yeah, very good. Thank you very much, Pixel Bro, for that. And we've got a special email, listeners, because it's from Phil's fiancée, Ellie. Oh, that's nice. Hello, Ellie. Yeah, I wonder what she's got to say. Probably something along the lines of Laurie's right about, you know, most (laughs) Somehow, no, I think she's got my corner. Let's see, shall we? Sorry for this. I'll try not to ramble, she says. No need to apologise, especially not as your first word. (laughs) Uh, Just a few... (laughs) Give her a bit of a break. Who knows what's coming? Uh, Just a few thoughts on films I've seen recently. The Darkest Hour should be called The Darkest Two Hours and Five Minutes. Naturally, after watching The Crown, I feel like I know Winston on a personal level. (laughs) And this just did not do the chat justice. you can tell we've oh, talked about familiar, this doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> you familiar. can tell we chatted about mm, this phil tells me it's been nominated for something not sure how what gary oldman what is going to win the she best she agrees actor. she agrees and she's her own independent mm, mind mm. also lily why and i assume you mean there ellie lily james and i agree with you it was an odd bit part for her when i saw her in the role i thought like i hope they're going to give you a good role here mm, and they just didn't. wasted there was basically exactly the same role in that other rubbish churchill film that i saw with brian cox in it just a girl who inspires him and it almost seemed like there's a template for doing churchill films and so i was annoyed to see her play a templated role yeah Mm. Moana she carries on the people who made this film should have just released it with an advert saying you're welcome because this film is a gift to mankind nice. <laughs> you've seen a lot of Moana haven't you Laura? you bet I have <laughs> love the storyline love the songs love the rock yeah me too he is charming he's got it love that they managed to produce a Disney film without a romantic plot yes true story uh, Laurie, if you ever need anyone to watch this film with your daughter, just give me a call. <laughs> right, yeah, I've got that. Uh, that's noted. That's in, that's that's in noted, writing now. Because like, we got her the, the uh, soundtrack for Christmas and she will not stop listening to it. I listened there too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were in the right. same house over Christmas. Mm, uh, Coco, Phil cried, enough said. <laughs> We've heard that from you already, from your I, I, I wear my tears with pride. And Ellie wishes to correct us both, it would seem, on Murder on the Orient Express. When I was a kid, our family nights involved sitting around and watching a murder mystery. I grew up with Poirot, so I was ridiculously excited for this film to come out, and it did not disappoint. Kenneth rectified himself after a non-performance in Dunkirk and portrayed Poirot beautifully. 
Well, so now that rebukes me. I was a big fan of uh, Kenneth uh, in well, uh, Because he was my murder. big problem, because I thought he wasn't very proper. He's too... Like, what is this, the thespian? He was too handsome, and he like his like uh, sparkling blue eyes were too often in the frame. I so think. it's funny that you mention that, because I, uh, I, this is all a bit in the family now, but I bought Ellie for Christmas um, the... Um, Hercule Poirot, what's his name? David Suchet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I TV bought the, the movies, the movies ones that he did for the TV did show. Okay, right. So yeah, he yeah. did the murder on yeah, TV. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. And gotcha. he, I didn't, I didn't really warm to him that much, even though he's like legendary in but that. He's role. not a warm character. I thought that was the whole point. But he does very much look like an egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's what, and that's what um, uh, Agatha Christie said, right? Yeah. And and he lies to his people because he's a master manipulator. He's not just a man. Like who just must have the truth the way that Kenneth Branagh plays. He's a bit like a superhero. I, I like, like Kenneth. Kenneth. I thought he was charming and endearing, and yeah. I wanted to watch him. Yeah, I, I don't. We're going to get another one, so maybe the second. I really like, hope we do. Uh, I enjoyed Murder on I the Nile. I think we will. I think we will. Good film. Uh, Baby Driver again, Lily. Why? Yeah, bad role for her. Mm. I haven't seen her be terrific in anything yet. She was really good in War and Peace. I haven't. Seen, oh yes, yeah, she was the TV show. Mm. She was brilliant in that. She's quite good in Cinderella, but again, that's not the best role for her. I feel like she might be someone who is good over time and often her roles don't have time. Yeah, I think you might be right. It's complicated. You reviewed this, didn't you, recently? Yeah. It's not that complicated. Don't mix yourself up in other people's relationships. <laughs> I'm not really sure why Meryl agreed to go with this film. Storyline is beyond poor. <laughs> there you go. Is that Nancy Myers? It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. I still need to review The Intern. i got lots to say about that. Oh, yeah. We haven't done any of what we've been watching. I've uh, been watching lots of films. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, Jumanji, The Rock, another big heart emoji she's included here, Phil. Watch out, competition. You <laughs> yeah. don't look much like The Rock, actually, now I think about it. Well, give it a few you. years and I might mm, be getting one feature so? right. <laughs> do you think so? Uh, I dragged Phil in to see this. What? After my stunning that is, review? Uh, that is not true. I, I suggested it because of your review. Well, so. quite right. And I'll never regret it, she says. Incredibly funny and a clever way to modernise film totally agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I really Ellie. loved it. It was great. Surprise smash. And I think and that has been a big hit for Sony and I think they're pleased about that. Its box office has grown and grown and grown. It's crazy. It's, it's done really surprising. It's word of mouth. Yeah. and How many films have done word of mouth? It's the exact opposite to The Last Jedi and because they occupied the same space in the schedule, it is like an amazing sort of crossover. It's like as people, more people talk about The Last Jedi, the more enthusiasm dips and therefore more and more people are like, hey, but Jumanji's on. Maybe like, oh, I've heard Jumanji. Oh, Jumanji's on. Jumanji's great. That's how it's gone. It's <laughs> like, such like, a good like, impression. Like, like, it's like you're painting a picture with right words. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, those are all the emails I'm going to do today because uh, we've got plenty in there already. So keep coming in on uh, all the films we reviewed this week. That's six films. Super big Belly films, Bros. though. Big yeah, films. Yeah, at gmail.com, at Bros on Twitter. You know it's Oscars season, so there's going to be a lot to chat about. Phil and I are going to get to them all if we possibly can. Yeah, and um, yeah, we haven't really talked about the nominations, but I'm sure we'll cover it as the show goes on. You know, this is going to sound really... Like You're a film critic, bear in mind. Just, just ego, remind you. Egotistical, so I apologise. But I have, I've talked about the Oscars so much recently, on the radio <laughs> and off it. And like, I don't have any stomach for it anymore. I find, Honestly, Phil, I find it boring. Is that bad? I think the nominations are kind of a non-story. Yeah. And the only thing you can really say is, oh, that person didn't get it. Oh, this person did. Oh. And that's uh, yeah. kind of it. That, that's the end of it. But because it's just building up to the actual award show, I think newspapers, media outlets, you have to cover it. You can't yeah. ignore it. Well, we kind of have in this episode. So I, but I guess that the show, then we'll have to do it. Won't we'll we? cover all the films. And we and kind of have already. keep an eye out for the biggest awards night in the history of movies making its second appearance next this year phil what's that it's the burr awards. awards we're going to do that again aren't we? our alternative version of the oscars and hopefully we could kind of coincide it a little bit more this time yeah that'd be and cool. uh we'll get a, a clearer 
uh, nomination list. Well, but, we need to start canvassing for it right now. That's the deal. Yeah, listeners, if you've got uh, a category you'd like to suggest and maybe a few suggestions of who would be nominated in that category, do get in touch. We had some fantastic ones, like we Best did. Plotted Plant, yes, which we did. was surprisingly actually quite best good. Best Acting When There's Nothing Else There. Yeah, yeah CGI Acting, that well. was a good one. So we might borrow some of the uh, you Yeah, no, categories. I think we should keep old categories and maybe just introduce a new one. It's going to be great, it's going to be great. Right, okay, we will talk more about that as episodes go on. Let's get on to the outro. This is outro stuff we're doing right now. Okay, Sauce move on, bro. move on, move Sauce, on, move on. Yes, yes, yes. This is the actual outro. Thank you, listeners, for tuning back in. Uh, we'll give you updates on the new format of the show as soon as we possibly can. And please do feedback your thoughts on it. If what I said right at the beginning sounded good, uh, you know, uh, uh, perhaps a separate podcast that where I do reviews as they come out and then Super Bowl Bros. Fortnightly, where Phil takes me to task on those reviews. If we do it that way, I can bring Judith in on the other podcast as well. And yeah, it'll be fun. I think what the this might be a little advert of what could come because the way it works out Laurie goes to see loads of films because he's going to the screenings I early to go. Yeah, I can't go to the yeah. screenings and so I'm catching up basically all the time and this would mean I'd actually be able to contribute rather than just listening to Laurie all the time yeah which so no if likes. you liked it, well no I, I like listening to you man um, but if you'd like the back and forth that Laurie and I have that's a way to do it and yeah, so that, and that would be the plan it would make that much easier to be discursive and we'd have breathing space man I love mm. breathing space I'm trying to create more and more of it <laughs> in my life right now so anyway listen that's the some of the logic behind it and other factors as well so yeah do get in touch and thank you very much for listening to Super Baby Bros Season 3 Episode oh yeah 4 it is mm. so I apologise I didn't say that before. for someone who gets so concerned about clogging up the feed you forget about the feed sometimes <laughs> you're not wrong about that man yeah okay alright thanks so much listeners have a great week and we'll speak to you again really soon ciao bye Phil, I've got a lot of bonuses. As per usual. Yeah, um, I was thinking, the thing is, some of them, oh, I don't really know what to do. I could tell you about how I tried to get a haircut in Soho the other day. Talk about house names and how they're out, gone out of fashion. I could talk to you about uh, an issue that happened when I went bowling with my family recently. I could talk to you about uh, kids' parties and how has there ever, will there ever be a better party than the bowling and quasar and pizza hut combo <laughs> ever no i can answer that right now no they exactly, will not be, exactly. will not be so, beaten any of those sound good uh i like the idea of the bowling story i want to hear the bowling story all right you got it bowling story coming up i love a bit bowling so i got a 50 percent off voucher great start to a story <laughs> uh, <laughs> save uh, some money save some pennies <laughs> and i thought i'd take uh, the family which is me and my wife and my two kids uh very young kids that's two and nine ten months that's right two and a half and ten months um, out bowling early and it was quite an empty bowling alley at that mm. time it's great at the weekend really recommend it and my wife had the suggestion knowing my daughter's a huge Moana fan that instead of putting our names up we would give ourselves Moana character names so <laughs> cool, I was Maui uh, oh of course you were Maui <laughs> hey look that wasn't my suggestion if I was happy to be Maui why not your son uh, <laughs> well he didn't play actually why were you so. not the grandma my, or my something son like played. that he's, he's a bit small uh, but I, I was Maui uh, my daughter was Moana and then my wife was Hey Hey the chicken uh, she, she chose that one that's a good one and my daughter absolutely loved this and if you ask her now who we were at bowling she'll still remember that we were really she's yeah, yeah, the best thing ever but this is what happened to me Phil so as we were bowling away very happily merrily uh, we noticed um, gradually like boys started filtering like, uh, but maybe be, uh, boys I call them boys maybe teenagers. 10 no 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 but they weren't teenagers they were younger than that they started filtering in to the alley to our left along with a couple of parents as well and I quickly realised this is going to be like a kid it's a party right and uh, but what happened was not only did I start to, you know, this is bowling, isn't it? Start to get a bit nervous, think I've got to look good here. I've got to, you know, bowl some strikes seriously. But they also noticed what our names were. 
and they noticed we were Moana characters and started laughing and looking at the screen and pointing at it. And they and then they started saying this audibly, well, who's Maui? Who's Maui? And I was like, Whoa. I started getting like a cool twitter, like, man, I'm Maui. <laughs> they're going to find, like, oh, find out. I've got, to, I've got to live up to this name right now. They're going to know that I'm Maui. I call myself Maui and I just flip and bowl into the corner and only got one pin down. Maui would not bowl a spare. Maui would bowl a strike every time. Yeah, 100%. And it was this really weird moment where I suddenly felt the pressure of having like this big group of boys watching me bowl as Maui. It was such a bizarre scenario. But like, wow, I, I just, I'm so, I'm still deep not pressure, prepared deep for that. Pressure. I can't handle that kind of pressure. I'm just not uh, made for whatever it, you, Whatever you say, the, 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 the group, the mass majority of even young people that you can ignore, it's scary. Like their opinion, collective opinion is really difficult Especially to shut Especially because they tend to be more honest as well. Oh, like, they're, they're brutal. Young. I remember there, one of my flatmates uh, was told me a story about another of our flatmates as well, uh, who I think was slightly the worse for wear one evening. And uh, he was just sat there, I think, reading a book in our shared kitchen. And I think he had, like, he'd done something different with his hair or whatever it was. Maybe he was wearing glasses. And this flatmate, who was slightly the worse for wear, came in and she said, do you think you look cool? And <laughs> he has spoken about that for some years afterwards. It was one of his deep. lowest points because it carried so much honesty. And it didn't need, there were no nasty words needed to be spoken. You're bringing up, you're oh. up memories for me now. I remember one time going to uh, McDonald's um, on a car journey, a long car journey. And uh, I, I think I was about nine or eight and um, I'd been given like a big Buzz Lightyear toy, like a nice, big, it was like a nice one. It was I remember huge. that toy. It was massive. It's not like a little like figurine. Wings it was like, were disappointingly short. Yeah, like, like stubby. stubby. Yeah. But anyway, I took it into McDonald's because oh. that's what you do as a kid. Yeah. I distinctly remember some like teenage girls laughing at me oh, for having a Buzz Lightyear, and I still can't really reconcile that moment because I'm thinking <laughs> that's the worst. I, I, I'm ashamed because I got mocked, and but then I was like, well, I was a kid. Like it's okay. How for kids. old were you at this point? Well, I was like eight or nine, but oh. maybe that's too year old. I don't know. I can't. I can't work it out. And it's just I've never. I've never brought a toy in again. Were that you was sad at that. Point? That genuinely. Oh, that wow. like that's that so was tragic. that killed it for me. And I kind of killed the I can toy. Just for imagine me. little Footy so happy with his Buzz Lightyear toy. And why, Dead. Why are they laughing at me? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Oh. Buzz, you betrayed me. <laughs> this is the thing, listeners. To infinity can't... sadness and beyond. <laughs> Those little public moments of shame. It's very hard to to get. Sounds like you did did all right there. You got through it. They didn't. I won, spot you. At least I won the bowling, right? Yeah, I beat my daughter. Yeah, <laughs> you're two and a half. You think you can bowl? What is this? Crushed it. Were you angling her little uh, trolley thing Look, into I the gutter? Her out. She came second. My wife came last. <laughs> Same about Judith. Everyone knows. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't so happy about that. Oh, good story, bro. Ferrero Rocher, the uh, entree of kings. That's just not true or funny. <laughs> 